morning church. Ryan Ashley here. Uh, quick uh, conversation this morning as we head into communion together. I wanted to give you a couple updates. Um, it's a staggering thing to think about, but next Sunday will be one year since the last Sunday we were able to meet together at the Arvada Center. It's just like, it's mind-blowing. I can't, can't fathom it. Um, and I, at the same time, I am grateful. I am grateful that uh, we have made so much ground together as a community, as a church. That I really feel like God is shaping us. God is renewing us. God is uh, putting us on mission. You know, one of the things that we prayed at the beginning of the pandemic for our church was that God would connect us, that God would um, grow us closer, and that God would give us a bigger sense of his mission in the world. And I think those things are happening. I think those things have happened and continue to happen. And so I am encouraged. Um, I do want to let you know that we are in conversations with the Arvada Center. Uh, we are meeting together on Easter. Uh, but we are looking at what it looks like long-term for us. And it might be a slow ramp up uh, as we learn how to be back together again. And that includes volunteers and all the things that go into being together. But we don't want to give this up either. This meaning if you're in a house church, if you're connected to a community, one of our house churches right now, um, there's been some really, really great stuff that's happened because of this. And if you've been intentional and you've been pursuing each other and you've been challenging and encouraging each other, you've seen what a community can be. And we don't want to lose that. And we don't want to return to kind of this Sunday-centric, sermon-centric thing where we just show up, listen, sing a few songs, and go about our lives. We really want to be a community that is learning to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And that actually requires intentionality with each other. That's what today's about. So I want to share a few of those things with you here in a second. I do want to let you know that next Sunday we begin, we pick back up really our teaching in the gospel of Mark. And so we're going to start in Mark chapter four. Very excited to get back into the gospel of Mark. Um, and some of you are like, hey, it's about time. Um, yeah, uh, I get it. So we started that last year. <laughs> and then finally, for those of you kind of on the fence, um, we've been going through a lot of stuff in this series about uh, looking at our past and our stories and uh, vulnerability, authenticity, forgiveness, all of these things. There is a retreat coming up. It's actually online and it's a Friday night and a Saturday and it's called Emotionally Focused. And it's you can check this out through our website, but this is what many of us talk about when we talk about faith walking. Uh, we had to change the name. There's a lot of licensing stuff there. And so the, the opportunity for you to engage your story, okay, in, in, a, in a real safe way with some prompts and some solitude time and some just some great questions and, and some great teaching, um, I would encourage you to sign up for the Emotionally Focused uh, retreat. It's uh, it's great stuff. So I will be a part of it in some way or another, but I would love for you to be a part of it with us. So let me pray and we'll, we'll dive in, okay? God, thank you. We're grateful 
to be together, to be um, in rooms and homes together, online together. Um, some of us may be watching uh, by ourselves from home, but we're not uh, apart. We are connected to each other. God, will you show us what it looks like to be your church, to be your people, to be brothers and sisters, to come to the table with focus and intentionality so that it would form us, so that it would heal us, and so that it would set us on mission again. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last fall, our house church, uh, we were in Philippians and we were talking about what kind of a community, um, what this would look like truly to be a colony of the king, to be, um, you know, in the midst of a culture, but, but pushing out of it a culture of the kingdom of God, heaven meeting earth. And we started to think about some of the characteristics of what this community would look like. And it came to our minds that this idea of some of the best community right now in our culture are really in two different places. One, CrossFit gyms, or, or they're not really called gyms, just the lingo, they're called boxes. Uh, a CrossFit uh, box um, where a community of people gather to hurt themselves. Uh, if you've never done CrossFit, it's a fantastic and a cultish way to get in shape. Um, but uh, CrossFit gyms are a place where you can show up literally your first day. You could walk into a CrossFit gym with a sack of Taco Bell, overweight, out of shape, and they will welcome you with open arms and help you start your journey. And at the same time you're working out and you're learning how to do certain things, there's a guy or a gal over here that's competing in the CrossFit games. And they're like doing things that you don't think your body could ever do. And yet there's this encouragement. Uh, you, if you go long enough, people are like, they, they know you, they hear your story. It's not a, a gym full of like hundreds of people. It's 12, 20 tops. And, and a community forms. And you're encouraged to, to go further, to push harder, to try something else, to try a new way of doing things, to, to practice a routine. And over and over again, you do those things and people come around you and you're encouraged. And when you're not there, they call you, they bug you. And then one day you're at a place where you begin to turn around and help somebody along their journey. That's what a CrossFit gym is. It's expensive. It costs. It costs money. It costs physical fatigue. And sometimes it costs friendships because you know what they say, uh, how do you know someone does CrossFit? Well, they'll tell you about it. So the point is, is that um, the, uh, CrossFit is actually uh, a community. And, and another great community is a recovery community. Now, some of you have been a part of a recovery community, whether you've worked through addiction or you've uh, sponsored somebody or you've been a family member of somebody who's gone through addiction. And if you've ever been to a meeting, it's powerful. 
Angela and I have had the opportunity to go to meetings with family. And you're in a room full of people, different demographics, different races, different genders, and, and all these different economics. You know, everything's just a hodgepodge group of people. And the common story is, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I'm addicted. And the beautiful stories, and some of them have, are, are, are laced with humor, and some of them have like real depth of emotion and sadness and pain and regret and all that stuff. And all that stuff's brought to the table, and no story is, is unaccepted. It's beautiful. And in the midst of the recovery movement, you have sponsors, and, and you have uh, accountability, and you have goals and you have you're working through a set of steps it's beautiful where's the church miss that i mean whether you compare the church to a crossfit gym or a recovery group where have we as the people of god missed this you know somewhere along in our methodologies somewhere along in our our ecclesiology, which is the, the study of church and God and this mixture, where along this line have we turned it into a show? A way to come and not be known and not know people? A way to hide? A way to just consume? You know, somewhere along the way, the church, the American church has discipled us to live the American dream and add Jesus to it. And this is a consistent theme that I talk about. And the reason why it's a consistent theme that I talk about is because I'm like you. I'm sucked into it too. Now... As we wrap up this series on what it looks like to follow Jesus with our whole selves, meaning we are more than just a mind that learns the Bible. We're more than just a body that needs to learn how to dress modestly and show up to church. But we're also emotions and we're, we're, we're this whole package how do, we ge how do we follow Jesus with our whole selves? Not just on Sunday, but with our whole life. What's interesting was you look at Scripture. God always pulled the people together around a table. And early on, some of this practice had to do with sacrifice. And you brought a sacrifice to the priest, you would actually, depending on the sacrifice, um, you would actually get a portion of that back to share with family and friends. Now, what happened throughout history is the Passover meal for the Jewish people. Jesus celebrates the Passover meal over and over again. We read it. We read him celebrating Passover and the different feasts of the Jewish tradition. But on the night before 
he was to be uh, pulled before Pontius Pilate and the whole Sanhedrin, he spent the evening with his disciples around a table practicing Passover meal. And the Passover meal goes back to Exodus chapter 12. And it's a meal to designed by God for the people of Israel to remember what God had done and what God was about to do. And it required obedience. And it required a table and it re required a sacrifice. And it required coming together and eating and identifying with the God who rescued them and shaped them. So it's interesting is I was reflecting on this, preparing for this a few weeks ago. Paul, the writer, the apostle, he writes a letter to the Romans about who God is, about who Jesus is what God has done through Jesus in our lives and actually the effect of that for us. In Romans chapter 12, he starts off with the word therefore. And so in light of all these things that God has done to rescue us, his love for us, he says, therefore, and he goes on, he says, I urge you brothers and sisters. So you are a family, this idea of being a family of God in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And Paul goes on to talk about how this happens. And so you read this in House Church, this idea of how we love each other, how we encourage each other, how we serve each other, how we're part of a body um, together. And it's a beautiful, beautiful and challenging description of how we're to be together. Now, this is all countercultural. This, what we're talking about here is very countercultural especially in this moment. In this moment, the pattern of this world is writing people off, cutting people off uh, out of your life, um, pulling together with people in hatred towards a group or another person, of, of distancing yourself, of, of anger and frustration and bitterness. That's the world, right? That's the pattern of this world. So historically, our country has formed us. And I think that's really important for us to look at as we head into communion. I was talking to a detective the other day, and I said, what is the biggest problem you're seeing right now in society? And he's, he didn't even hesitate to answer. He said, loneliness. Loneliness. People are just lonely. And there's people who have been cut off from family and pushed aside. And, and it results in so much difficulty 
in law enforcement, mental illness, drug addiction, all these things. But when you think about historically what America has been, America was founded, and I think this is really important for us to understand, America was founded in a reaction to kind of this oppressive governmental structure in, you know, kind of post-Enlightenment Europe. And what this was is it became a, a kind of an incubation of something called radical individualism. And our country was birthed on radical individualism, freedom, liberty. And we love our autonomy. In fact, in Denver, I think it's even more heightened than in other parts of the country. We're not Midwest, where there's a lot of family and family connected to each other. We're, we're, we're more independent than that here in Denver. And it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's a country thing because it's, it's kind of how, it's in our DNA as Americans. It's, it's in our DNA. It's like we're formed. Um, and I think that this idea of radical individualism has actually formed the church, has actually pushed into the church. It's made us um, not trust each other. It's made us um, not submit to each other and, um, and lay our lives down for each other. And one of the things I think the pandemic has done is it's actually shown the cracks. It's shown the cracks in the church. Cracks in leadership, cracks in community, crack, cracks in our actual love and forgiveness for people. Stanley Hauerwas, he, he wrote this. This, is, I think, is a tremendous quote for what we're, we're up against. He says, in the 20th century, generally speaking, Protestant Christians set out to make America Christians and ended up making Christianity American. And so there's this like very individualistic strain within us that we bring into our life as a church community. Second one is tribalism, it's, which is anti-community. It's this idea that I hate that person or I hate that group and so do you. So let's, that makes us a tribe. Um, and that's all over the place right now. And then the other thing is that like, this is a time where we, it seems like people worship ideologies. Ideologies are ideas that form, uh, they're not just ideas, but they're communities, they're whole social structures that form around an idea. And it can be really dangerous. And, and now here's the thing. The church has blown it in so many ways. I mean, right now, I'm just lamenting the fact that the church has missed out on so many opportunities to come alongside the poor and deal with justice issues and especially racism. And uh, the church has kind of hitched its wagon to some, some very weird political nationalistic things. Um, and, and even a progressive nationalism on the other side. And, but here's the thing. I mean, this is all sounds like bad news. I just want to share with us good news today. Okay. It's important for us to hear the bad news. It's important for us to wrestle with all that stuff, but I just want to, I want to share something that's really exciting for us today. This is a moment. And I think 20 years from now, we're going to look back on this moment as the church and we're going to see, did we do this well or not? 
This is a moment I'm excited about the future, not only of our church, but of the church. I think God is doing some things. He's whittling it down. He's refining who we are as the people of God. Um, The people of God have the opportunity right now more than ever to learn to apprentice Jesus in community. And it's more necessary than ever for this world. And so uh, you might ask, well, what does it look like to be an apprentice? What does it look like to be a disciple? Dallas Willard says this. He says, a disciple is anyone whose ultimate goal is to live as Jesus would live if he were in their place. And so we're meant to be an alternative society. Like we talked about this, the last series uh, at the end of 2020, we're meant to be a colony of heaven. We're meant to be people of the future, that the hope of the resurrection actually changes how we live in the present. And and we're meant to be, you know, a Hesed community, a community of love. We talked about that last week. And that's why we gather around the table, the communion table. The last meal that Jesus has with his close disciples, it's special. And here's the thing, if you read it, It's also really awkward and confrontational. And a lot of times we don't talk about that part. See, the disciples think about it. It's much like this AA community I was was, uh, able to be a part of there. It's a whole group full of different people. In the disciple community, you had zealots. These were people that wanted to overthrow Rome. You had um, fishermen who were trained and who lived in this very kind of religious, uh, Jewish, uh, pious culture. You had a Jewish trader named Matthew who was actually working for Rome and collecting taxes from his own people. You had all these people around a table sharing the Passover meal together. And to make it worse, one of them was about to betray Jesus and another one was about to deny Jesus, like basically disassociate himself from Jesus. And these guys are all around a table and they don't naturally get along. I mean, we see it all throughout the, the New Testament. They're just, they argue with each other. There's different factions. There's things like that. And they have different backgrounds. They have different ideologies and And Jesus commands in this meal together, in this Passover meal together, he he commands a habit. He commands a practice. He commands it to be intentional. So the question I have for us, as we talk about communion here in a second and actually practice it together and what it is, is what table have you been, what table have you been at this year? What table have you allowed yourself to pull up a chair to? Is it the table of political ideology and retribution? Sorry. Is it a table of individual liberty? Has it been in a table of fear, uh, fear of the virus, fear of the vaccine? Has it been a table of bitterness and cutoff from family and friends? The tendency right now is to find people who agree with you 
uh, agree with your issues, agree with your take on issues, and to go to church there. That's happening all over our city right now. And it's happened to our church. To Jesus, the church, the community of disciples, is a family. It's brothers and sisters. It's a group of people who are committed to caring for each other, bearing burdens together, uh, cleaning up messes and forgiving each other. That's what this community is supposed to be. And the invitation to follow Jesus is simultaneously an invitation to his family. You can't have one without the other. You can't have Jesus. You hear me say this all the time. We can't follow Jesus alone. Uh, And many of you are trying to prove me wrong still on this one. You can't follow Jesus without people, okay, who are different than you following Jesus. Bare minimum, it stunts your growth. Or worse, you'll choose another table. And so for Jesus, discipleship happens in a family. It happens with each other. And Jesus is never alone with a disciple. There's not one story where it's just Jesus and one disciple. Um, You do not read about that. Listen to this quote from N.T. Wright. He says, Jesus brought about a reformation by telling a subversive alternative story. Okay, He told a story that is that is more than science, more than history, more than philosophy, more than anthropology, and more than morality. A story that not only happened once, but is happening still, and you and I are invited into that. And so the practice of coming to the table, coming to the communion table, it's not because it's a good tradition, Okay, uh, And not because it's a good tradition or a way to remember okay, the sacrificial death of Jesus. It is that, but it's not just that. It is because you and I are welcomed no matter what. You and I are welcomed no matter what. It's where we receive healing. It's where we offer ourselves back as living sacrifices. It's where we look across the table at our brother and sister and knowing that they are just as capable as I am of of denying Jesus and betraying Jesus. That they come from different backgrounds, that they have different ideologies, they have different things that that they're swimming in and different ways they see the world. But we show up at the table, all of us, as loved and accepted, willing to put ourselves in service of Jesus, in love. And so this morning as we prepare for communion, um, some of you are uh, by yourselves or you're going to be online um, watching this. And and so I'm going to lead you through communion after I pray here in a second. But for others of you, you're in a house church and you have bread and the cup with you. And so however God leads you in this time of taking the bread and the cup, I want to honor that. 
but I want you to, after this prayer, to pause or turn off the video and be with each other around the table. And I want you to talk after you take communion what it looks like to be a people of the table. Moving forward into this world, uh, the future that we don't know much about, what would it look like to be the people of the table? So let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this practice of communion. Thank you for sending Jesus to, to die for us, to show what it looked like to suffer for others. God, you broke the power of sin and death on the cross. And you invite us to be a part of breaking that power of sin and death in this world. God, you want us to be a colony of heaven. You want us to be a people of the future, a community of love. And it starts at the table together. So God, we come together taking the bread of cup and the cup, remembering your sacrifice and giving our bodies as a response. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So for those of you sticking with me, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was betrayed later on after this meal, he's around a table, he knows who his betrayer is, he knows who will deny him, he knows all the mess and dysfunction around this table. And he grabs the cup and, and, and the bread. And at first he grabs the bread and he breaks it and he passes it. And he says, guys, this, this is my body, which I'm about to break for you because of my love for you. So pass it, take a piece and eat it. Bring it into you as a human being, as a remembrance of what I'm about to do. So take and eat. Then Jesus grabs the cup and it's the third cup in the Passover and he inserts it, he inserts this practice into the Passover and he grabs the cup, and cup usually in scripture um, is, a, is a picture of judgment and wrath. In fact, a little later on when Jesus is in the garden, he actually asked God if he could take this cup from him. But the cup he passes is actually a cup of blessing. It's a cup of healing. And he says, this is the cup, okay, of blessing through sacrifice. This is my blood, which will be spilled for you. And he says, take it and drink and remember. Father, we're not worthy of the grace that you've given us. 
We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. You've shown us so much mercy. And it's through us seeing our brokenness and seeing our sin and your love for us and your forgiveness and your sacrifice for us that unlocks us to have compassion and love for others. God, in this moment, in this, in this moment that people are hearing this, would you reaffirm your love for them? And would you reaffirm your invitation for them to join in on your love for this world, for your love for our neighbors, for your love for our family? May we be the people that you want us to be. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and talk about it.